The biggest beneficiary of American tech research funding, China, not the U.S. We take a closer look. The U.S. trying to court Pacific countries away from Beijing. The latest developments after pledging to spend big dollars there. Protests in Chinese colleges. Students there opposing what they call a year-long lockdown. An Australian port rented to China under fresh scrutiny. The U.S. Navy uses the port to transport aircraft for military exercises, with Chinese workers present. And Vice President Kamala Harris denouncing North Korea's brutal dictatorship. She's voicing strong criticism during her visit to the border between the North and South. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Which country benefits most from America's tech research findings? Interestingly, it's not the U.S., but China. An internal Pentagon report is now sounding the alarm about it. And Senator Joni Ernst sheds light on the issue. Here's NTD's Melina Weisskopf with more. An internal Pentagon report reveals that, quote, nearly all cases show that China, not the U.S., is the ultimate beneficiary of DOD and other U.S. government research investments, some of which are significant in size. That's according to a report from the Center for Strategic and International Studies, or CSIS, and cited by Senator Joni Ernst. And this is not new. It's been going on for decades. A report by the Center for Strategic and International Studies reveals that this has been going on since at least 19 89, um, that report shows that Chinese scholars has been, have been monitoring this specific program, the Small Business Innovation Research Program. We caught up with Senator Ernst earlier today, and she explained why it's important for them to continue to expose this and solutions moving forward. Because obviously we don't want taxpayer dollars going into research and development and then handing over that information to the Chinese. We are basically taking taxpayer dollars, developing technology for our own use here in the United States for national security, and then turning it over to the Chinese, where they can reverse engineer a lot of that technology and use it for their own purposes, maybe against the United States. Essentially, American companies get tax dollars from the Pentagon for technology development. Those companies are then recruited by China to continue their work at institutions associated with the People's Liberation Army. Ernst, in a statement to the Epoch Times, cited an example from the Internal Pentagon report. A researcher and the co-founders of a now-dissolved company that received four grants to develop technology for spacecraft and drones, for example, were allegedly recruited by the Chinese government and now work for institutions affiliated with the communist regime's defense agency. Senator Ernst says the solution is not to defund these research programs, but instead we need to do better at developing more security measures and guardrails to prevent this from happening moving forward. And she's not alone in calling for these changes. Senator Rand Paul has also called for similar measures, but he has went so far as to threaten um, not recertifying these programs unless these changes are made. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Technologies involved include broadband, biohazard detectors, solar energy, designs for military devices, and pharmaceuticals. And Ernst isn't alone in her concern. Senator Rand Paul said earlier this year that he'll oppose recertifying the SBIR program because Beijing's been using it to steal technology. SBIR stands for Small Business Innovation Research. The program helps small businesses in the U.S. conduct early-stage and high-risk research. 
The U.S. is competing for influence in the Pacific region, now racing against Beijing and its inroads there. But what's included in that renewed U.S. engagement? Pledges to send big money, plus meetings and meals with high-level U.S. officials. Here are the highlights. The U.S. and leaders from a dozen Pacific nations agreed on a declaration of partnership. The news comes from America's top diplomat, Antony Blinken. That's after reports that the Solomon Islands won't sign the declaration. The U.S. is hosting a summit for heads of state from a dozen Pacific countries, like Fiji, the Solomon Islands, and Tonga. These countries occupy a key strategic region in the Pacific, and Beijing has been making inroads there in recent years. In April, Beijing signed a security pact with the Solomon Islands. It put the West on high alert amid concerns that the deal could lead to a Chinese military base just a thousand miles off Australia's shores. Now the U.S. is re-engaging the region. Blinken announced over $4 million in funding for a project aimed to better people's livelihoods there. This summit is the latest effort on the part of this administration to hear directly from you about your priorities, your ideas, your hopes for the future of the region and the world, and especially how we can work together to try to achieve them. He said he hopes the nations will come away with a message that the U.S. shares their vision and that only by working together can they tackle the biggest challenges of our time. From combating the climate crisis and health emergencies to promoting economic opportunity to preserving a free and open Indo-Pacific where every nation, no matter how big, no matter how small, has the right to choose its own path. The Pacific leaders also met House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Thursday. Their day wrapped up with a dinner at the White House hosted by President Biden. A rental agreement between an Australian port and a Chinese company is under fresh scrutiny. That's as the newly elected Australian government raises concerns that the lease could pose national security threats. U.S. Marines use that port to transport equipment and aircraft for military trainings. Many of those transports now happen in the presence of Chinese workers, since Beijing is the temporary owner of the port. Worth noting, U.S. trainings mainly target Beijing's threat in that region. It all started in 2015, when officials from Australia's Northern Territory signed a 99-year lease to rent out a commercial port there to a Chinese company called Landbridge. The port is called the Darwin Port. The city of Darwin is closer to the tension-ridden South China Sea than it is to the Australian capital, Canberra. The Chinese company renting the Darwin port is owned by a Chinese billionaire, reportedly with close ties to the Chinese Communist Party. He was named one of the top 10 individuals involved in the development of national defense by Chinese authorities in Shandong province. The company, like many in China, is home to a branch of the Chinese Communist Party. Its Communist Party secretary is a former Chinese military officer. What's more, Chinese military officials have visited the company's headquarters. The port's chief executive told the Wall Street Journal that the U.S. and Australian militaries still use the port. He suggested that the decision shows they have no serious security worries. The Chinese regime has been actively buying up and renting strategically important ports around the globe. That's mainly under its Belt and Road Initiative. The purchases have raised concerns around the world over Beijing's global expansion ambitions. 
Vice President Kamala Harris is taking aim at North Korea. On Thursday, she said the country is destabilizing peace and security. She issued the unusually strong criticism during a visit to the border between North and South Korea. In the North, we see a brutal dictatorship, rampant human rights violations, and an unlawful weapons program that threatens peace and stability. Harris's visit comes on the heels of North Korea's latest missile launches and amid fears that the country may conduct a nuclear test. Visiting the demilitarization zone has become something of a ritual for American leaders to show their resolve against aggression. James Cleverly is on his first Asia tour as foreign secretary, which includes visits to Japan and South Korea. He told an audience in Singapore today that Britain intends to have the broadest, most integrated presence in the Indo-Pacific region and will spend up to half a billion pounds there. Foreign Secretary James Cleverly said Britain is committed to forming ever closer links with the Indo-Pacific region in a speech in Singapore on Thursday. He told an audience of business, finance and academic leaders that Britain is set to have the broadest, most integrated presence in the Indo-Pacific. We intend to spend up to £500 million in the region over the next five years. And we will work with public and private partners in the region to support quality green infrastructure projects in Indonesia, in Vietnam, in the Philippines, in Cambodia and Laos. He said security and prosperity in the Indo-Pacific is indivisible from Europe's. He welcomed Singapore and Japan's decision to impose sanctions on Russia over its invasion of Ukraine. It is also a warning to China. The lessons I take from watching China across my lifetime is that when China departs from global rules and norms, when it aligns itself with aggressive countries like Russia, its standing in the world suffers. The Foreign Secretary also said Britain is seeking to join the Trans-Pacific Trade Pact. It is known as the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, which removes 90% of tariffs between its 11 members. More protests in China are sparking over COVID-19-driven lockdowns. Wednesday night, students in at least five colleges in the central Chinese city of Jinzhou gathered at the entrances of their campuses, demanding lockdown orders be lifted. Students there can move freely inside campus, but are not allowed to leave. Some students have said it's been that way for more than a year. Teachers were seen talking to students on site. One student asked why teachers can leave the campus daily, but students can't. The collective protest started with a suggestion posted to social media. It called on students to shout lift the lockdown from the balconies of their dorms that night. The post reads, today they can restrain our legs, tomorrow they can control our mouths and tie up our hands. Following the social media campaign, some of the colleges lifted their lockdown rules. China's economy has long been grappling with pandemic-related slowdowns, but one sector is still booming, despite people tightening their spending and living more simply. The second-hand luxury goods market. Here's more. 
A year ago, a shopping trip for Shanghai resident Wang Jianing would likely have involved standing in queues at the glitzy flagship stores of global luxury brands in search of the latest season's handbag. But these days, the office worker is exploring this warehouse and shop space of secondhand luxury goods marketplace, Zhe. My consumption is definitely downgraded this year, but I still like what I like. I can't control my shopping urges. So I think this kind of platform with second-hand items is great. Zhe started as an online platform in 2016. The name translates to only two, referring to second-hand goods. It began opening brick-and-mortar stores in Shanghai and Chengdu last year and is now looking for more shop space in Beijing, Guangzhou and Shenzhen. China's economic slowdown fueled by the global health crisis is proving to be a boon for the company's founder, Zhu Tainichi. And it's not only due to a surge in interest from belt-tightening shoppers. On the consigner side, because the economy has slowed down, they will think, why not sell the luxury goods sitting idle at home? The 33-year-old former venture capitalist says the number of Zhe's consigners, or people putting up their goods for sale, has soared 40 percent so far in 2022 over the same period last year. The platform now has 12 million members and expects to sell 5 million luxury pieces this year. For some, like shopper Isabel Shi, the change in consumption habits also comes after months of intense lockdown in Shanghai. My desire for material goods is reduced. I mean, if you could wear your pajamas for three months at home. The trend points to a key change in China's $74 billion luxury goods sector, where the second-hand subsegment has been slow to take off versus other markets such as Japan and the U.S. That's in part due to a preference for newness and fears of being sold fakes. This could prove a challenge for the China-focused strategies of the world's major luxury goods makers who are already grappling with softening demand. Though Iris Chan, a partner and head of client development at consultancy Digital Luxury Group, believes the luxury resale subsegment is still niche. Overall, the high-end market in China is still expected to grow. Um, whether that's resale or new luxury, I'd just say that maybe the middle class, younger generations are perhaps not buying new luxury as much um, in this moment of you know being more measured about their pockets. Zhe and other top luxury resale platforms such as Feiyu, Ponhu and Plum are all homegrown. Each drew tens of millions of dollars in venture capital funds in 2020 and 2021 with an eye on improving authentication practices. According to consultancy iResearch late last year, China's second-hand luxury market is tipped to grow to $30 billion in 2025 from $8 billion in 2020. Coming up, social media giant Meta says it removed over 80 accounts from Facebook, apparently part of a China-based influence operation. Earlier, we spoke to John Mills, former director of cybersecurity at the Department of Defense, to get his take. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. November's midterm elections are on the horizon, and it seems China is interested. Meta, formerly known as Facebook, says it recently took down a targeted Chinese campaign from its platforms. Earlier, we spoke to John Mills, former director of cybersecurity at the Department of Defense, to get his take. Well, clearly, uh, China was attempting to influence uh, the, the uh, American election process again. And so this is, th- these are influence operations. We practice them for years. Other countries have practiced them for years. China has practiced them for years. So th- they, are, they have learned how to meddle in American domestic events. And without a president in place that knows how to assert American interests and uh, payback for China attempting to do things like this, it's going to be um, the Chinese are going to have a free hand. Now, uh, turns out a, uh, a colleague and friend of mine uh, just departed government service and went to work for Meta just a few days ago. So I find it very in- interesting and coincidental that they, they went there and then immediately uh, uh, this happened. Uh, so that was very, very interesting. And they would have very deep knowledge of, of these matters. So. Um, Kudos to Meta and Facebook for shutting these down. At the same time, we can't trust big tech. Big tech is not the friend of the American people or America. So uh, interesting turn of events. I'm not in any way clearing or applauding for big tech. Big tech is still big tech, and big tech is an enemy of the American people. And on the based on the report, it seems these Chinese accounts were playing both liberal and conservative people on this platform. So they're targeting everyone. And given, you know, in recent times, say Twitter, Facebook, all these platforms have fact checkers to try and, you know, help people sort out disinformation. How can the average person sort it out if there are these types of influence campaigns? Well, first of all, uh, I would caution people about they're sources of news. It should be varied. Uh, it should be multiple. Uh, they should take things with a grain of salt. Uh, it's it's the lost art, and with the messed up public school system and uh, academia and big academia, oftentimes Americans uh, are having trouble distinguishing uh, fact from uh, professional informed opinion from just opinion to uh, from just while just because it came out of somebody's mouth it's true so we have to become more sophisticated and part of this is learning to go back and become smart on these things and just because it somebody said it in it in uh, social media doesn't mean it's true i am in no way saying that uh, a dhs censorship board or disinformation board is a good thing that's a horrible idea but I think Americans can figure this out if they start to become, again, once again, more sophisticated on these matters. And that includes multiple sources. That includes checking sources. That includes becoming more learned and knowledge on a lot of these topics. And not just reacting because somebody said something about something on social media and then having a visceral overreaction to it. And, and with the communist ideology, a lot of times, you know, they're, they're, because they, they reject God, because they, they have no basis in belief other than this, the party and the system, they just have a, I don't know how else to put it, just a, a messed up 
psychology and ideology where they are just cause they want to cause hate and discontent for the purpose of hate and discontent to get people to hate each other and hate their culture. It's no more complex than that. That's oftentimes what's going on. You just, you know, I've had to deal enough with the Chinese communists while I was in service and uh, the, 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 the Soviets and then the Russians. A lot of times because of their rejection of God and a faith foundation and uh, they just have, uh, they just want to cause hate for this, the sake of hate. They don't even know what their end state is. And it's a dangerous ideology. It's essentially the foundation of critical race theory or Black Lives Matter, which they just want to get people to hate each other and hate their country and hate everything. What a wonderful formula. And John, for the concerned citizen, it seems the first step is to be educated. And then after that, you actually had a book that just came out recently that kind of acts as a guide for people who want to take the next step called The Nation Will Follow. So how would you summarize your book? Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Tiffany. Yeah, the book is out completely now. It's about my time while I was in government service, realizing I was right in the middle of the the spying on candidate and then President Trump. My four-year Whitaker chamber journey to get in front of the Durham investigation to expose this this absolutely just horrendous and evil activity by deep staters And then the action is for American citizens. I give an action plan. Take action in your county. Secure your county, your county equivalent. There's 3,300 roughly counties and county equivalents. The American constitutional system is based on our county. So Americans, get involved in your county. Dominate your counties, your seven centers of gravity, your election board, your registrar, your county council, your school board judges, prosecutors, and sheriffs dominate them. And it, it, it's taken me two and a half years in my own county. Forced uh, was part one, one of the reasons uh, my former registrar was forced out in early 2021. She's now been indicted by the Virginia Attorney General Jason Miares for get ready. 2020 election corruption and malfeasance. So yes, we have an indictment, two felony indictments against my former registrar. And uh, and I thank you to State Senator Amanda Chase, who, who brought myself and uh, somebody else to brief uh, the, the Attorney General earlier this year. And uh, they convened a uh, grand jury, which is a high bar, and the grand jury returned indictments, which is an even higher bar. This is a model and an exemplar for citizens. Get involved in your county. Don't wait for a lawyer to save you. 95% of the work is us anyway. So citizens, get in, get off the couch, secure your county, and the nation will follow. John, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Tiffany, thank you so much. Always an honor to be with you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.